Hello everyone, here we're back at the Willow Tree. This is Hilda, your host, and we have a wonderful guest this time, Veronica W. Robinson, who is an integrative wellness practitioner. Veronica is certified and is a certified and licensed massage therapist and shiatsu practicing therapist, Reiki master and culinary nutritionist who focuses on incorporating more raw living and plant life cuisine in one's daily diet and educator. She is currently working on several projects, um, one being creating an online program to help individuals make lifestyle changes that will help them manage or reduce high blood pressure. And she is also a student of acupuncture. Welcome, Veronica. You sure have a lot going on. Thank you for visiting us. <laughs> I do, I do. Thank you for um, inviting me. I'm very honored. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this time. I, I, I don't know where to begin, um, but let's let's begin at the top, I guess. Um, so you are a wellness practitioner. You um, offer massage therapy, specifically shiatsu. Um, can you tell yes. me about that? Sure. I, I, I do regular Swedish massage, um, the kind of massage that most people are familiar with and think of when they think of massage, where you, you know, go in a room and undress your level of comfort and the therapist is using creams or oils and massaging your, um, you know, it's, it's more tissue based. But I'm also a shiatsu practitioner and shiatsu is a um, traditional um, form of body work. It's um, Japanese style, uh, traditionally formed on a futon on the floor. The client remains fully clothed and it's rooted in Chinese medicine. So uh, well, um, a well-educated shiatsu practitioner is going to be very familiar with the whole Chinese medical um, paradigm of uh, looking at the meridians and channels in the body, mm-hmm. knowing the acupressure, acupuncture points, knowing about yin yang and five element theory, um, and really focusing much more on chi, um, more so than the actual physical structure of the body. Okay, so you're working with energy. I, I'm trying to simplify it because the way I see it, you're working with the energy points of the body. Um, That's correct. Yeah. Very, very nicely can very nicely summarized okay i i i'm a yoga student yoga teacher training um student currently and i have my certification in reiki and also from from years of you know being raised in in a lineage of women who who worked with energy um Ah. yeah we just you know in african spirituality we call it other things but we're working with energy essentially and, and right, right. performing, you know, many healings that way. This that's wonderful. So you're able to incorporate that with uh, what do I see here? Your your nutrition. So there's a there's a connection. I mean, there is an obvious connection between your physical wellness and and what you eat. So can you talk to me a little bit about what you are doing with that? Sure. So when I um, see, well, well, let me just back up a little bit. I have a lot of um, training in plant-based cuisine, uh, a lot of it in uh, how to prepare plant-based cuisine, but also uh, nutrition training itself. And um, my focus with that when working with a client is many people come in with structural complaints. You know, they have achy muscles or achy shoulders or mm-hmm. Um, you know, their back is bothering them or they just want to, they just, just feel stiff. Well, from my paradigm, my perspective and my understanding, a lot of that is just um, embodied uh, uh, pain and stress that can come from your emotional life, your spiritual life, mm-hmm. your mental life, or also not um, supporting your body with the types of um, nutrition sources of nutrition and things that you need in order to be functioning well and so one of the things that i do look at when i'm working with clients is like what are you eating how are you nourishing yourself and being able to offer people some additional 
means of incorporating healthier foods in their diet is really an important part of what I what I look at when I'm working with someone. Okay, so can you give me a little bit of detail regarding what what's healthy versus what isn't? Your version of it. Well, you know, there's the the standard viewpoint of you know not eating. Um, white sugars and white flours and, you know, too much meat and fat and things like that, uh, artificial uh, flavoring, uh, reducing chemicals. So I agree with all of that, but really I focus a little bit more on crowding in the things that I determine are healthy. So that's going to be whole form, preferably whole form, although juicing is fine, but preferably whole form, if possible, organic um, plant foods, meaning, and I, you know, plant life foods, meaning um, for me, that's going to be fruits, vegetables, um, uh, an appropriate amount of nuts and seeds. Um, and those are the things that I primarily focus on. Okay. Um, so let's see, you're, regarding the project, you are working uh, with the focus on helping people with hypertension. Yes. Um, is that, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I'm personal, um, uh, I'm, I'm personally invested in, um, I'm prone to have hypertension as are many people in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also very prominent in my family, my direct family line on both my mother's side and my father's side of the family. Um, but my perspective on hypertension is that it's not necessarily a disease. Um, I don't I don't see it as a disease. I, I do think that there are circumstances where a person is just going to have hypertension, but I'm going to go on on a limb and say that many, if not most, of the um, individuals who have hypertension, that hypertension is a sign of another condition. Yeah. Um, and that's evidenced by the fact that that blood pressure, you know, if you have a disease, it doesn't change from morning to night or, you know, one week to the next week. Um, so lifestyle changes, I think, are really critical in being able to manage and control hypertension. And I think one of the very effective means of doing that is minding what you're eating. Yes. I, I totally, I couldn't agree with you more. As a registered nurse, I've given many, many scoldings and lectures and, you know, um, warnings um, because of that, because of the, just the tendency to kind of follow the palate, <laughs> you yes, know, make yes. the palate very happy. Um, and especially during this time of the year, we, you know, for those that celebrate these holidays tend to really go overboard with with certain foods that they don't eat other times of the year so we tend to see an increase in in reports of of hypertension and diabetes like the whole metabolic yeah the whole metabolic syndrome is really exacerbated this time of the year and um yeah i um i totally see the connection between what you are doing with the with your clients physically energetically and also maybe trying to ingrain some uh, healthier patterns you know Um, well you know hilda um when people come see me for massage and body work that's great and i and i would encourage you know everyone to receive some sort of healthy touch therapy but you know they're in the room with me for an hour maybe an hour and a half and on a, on a very rare occasion two hours maybe once a week but most people are coming you know three four five six six weeks apart so what i can do for them in that limited space of time um is nominal compared to what they can do when they leave mm-hmm. and so i want to um, also be able to give them things that they can do at home yeah. um, as part of their just normal day-to-day life that are going to affect great change. And again, you know, besides getting high quality sleep 
and getting some movement activity in their life. I think, you know, proper, proper um, fluids, fluid intake, healthy relationships, those things are all very important. But we spend a lot of time eating. Um, and so I just feel that, again, that's another place where a person can really take charge of their life and make some very um, impactful changes. And I'm actually also a graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Um, and one of the things that we learned there was this concept of crowding in. And so um, that's also kind of what I try to focus on. I, I don't tell people, I, I mean, I, we, we talked about this. What, what are the things that, that I think of as not healthy? And I just think that there's enough material out there for people to, to have already heard about yeah. the things that they shouldn't eat. And most people will tell me, I know I shouldn't be eating this. So they already know. Right. But what they don't know is that if you crowd in, you know, again, especially whole form fruits and vegetables, you're going to be getting minerals, vitamins, water, and fiber. And you can eat so much more of that food, have less calorie density, be nurturing and nourishing yourself. Um, and it's just a way to to um, be able to uh, start to slowly change your overall consumption. So that's really what I focus on. So, so that that um, that little phrase that I use: eat more raw, living, and plant-based cuisine in your daily diet. Yeah. I post that on a lot of my posts that I put on my Facebook page or Instagram, and I really mean that. And the other little part of that that I don't usually say, but is do that regardless of whatever else you're eating. I don't tell people, you know, you, sh you shouldn't eat meat or you, you don't eat a piece of cake or that's, that's not <laughs> what I focus on. I just focus on, you know, if you can't do anything else, just try to, you know, get a little salad in. Can you, can you throw an apple in here? And then also to give them some, you know, you know a lot of people also know that. They also know that because they'll say that I know I should be eating, you know, more fruits and vegetables, yeah. but they don't know how. They just don't have an idea of how to incorporate that, or they think that that means I have to have a salad every day. Some people don't like cold, you know, vegetables. So that's right. another place where I can come in and just give them ideas for well, what do you like to eat? What are what are some of your just just tell me three vegetables you like and three fruits you like, and I can give you twelve meals that you can make just from those things cooked or raw right, right. so it, it's just a it's just a, a very simple way of getting people on a track to toward toward better health and when people um i know this from myself personally and i've had clients tell me that when you start to eat healthier foods again because you're getting more um, fluid in your body many people are dehydrated um you're getting the, the vitamins in there and the uh, minerals and other sorts of, of nourishment. And if you fill yourself up on those kinds of foods, maybe you eat less of the things you shouldn't be eating. And then you do start to have um, positive outcomes like better sleep, your body starts to feel better. And then the work that we do for body work carries through um, from session to session. So you don't just come in for massage and then leave and then you're in pain for four weeks and you feel horrible for four weeks until you come into the room and get a massage. I can't perform miracles. Right. So I try to just <laughs> really, you know, I want to I wanna work with you as a touch therapist and I also want to give you things that you can go home and do and really, you know, make your life more fulfilled and healthier. That's great. So um, what is your take on the connection between food and inflammation? Because we, we we're, you know, we, we know about sugar, but there, there are so many things that we can consume that also contribute to inflammation, which, you know, is, is many times the culprit of pain behind pain. Yes. Yes, I agree. So yeah, I do think that there are inflammatory foods and I think a lot of the foods that um, we quote unquote shouldn't be eating are inflammatory foods. So again, getting back to those things like white sugar, uh, special flowers, too much meats, 
caffeine, um, just just that whole category of, of food, I think most of those things have an inflammatory effect on the body. And then you, you also may agree that you know that there are things like nightshades that for some people, they're very sensitive to nightshades. Um, I'm sorry, there, very, there, can you repeat that? It just, it broke up just a little bit. Sure, sure. I was saying nightshades. Some people are sensitive to nightshades, so tomatoes, potatoes, and any sorts of peppers, hot peppers and bell peppers. Mm. Um, those all have solanine in them. And that chemical compound does create um, inflammation and joint pain for some individuals. And some people can eat, you know, tomatoes, but not potatoes, um, for example. So those are some other things. Me personally, um, a, a lot of the dietary recommendations from um, people who are promoting a healthier diet will include whole grains. But of course, some people can't eat whole grains. Some people can't eat, um, they just need to eat gluten-free grains. Um, me personally, I can eat rice, um, but that's a I can eat, well, quinoa is not really a, in that same family, but so like I can eat rice, um, but many other grains, if I eat too many, too much of any other type of grain, I get um, swelling in my ankles. Within wow. about three days of starting to eat that, my ankles will be swollen um, like like a person with high blood pressure, really. Wow. Um, so that's you, water you know, retention. Ankle I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Water retention. And when I stop eating it, again, it takes about three days, but then my it just goes away. So for me, and I've, I've you know, done this, tested this on myself off and on um, for quite some time. And I'm very sure that that's the connection. So one of the things that um, I will, if someone tells me that they're having certain types of pain, um, that is one recommendation that I'll make to them is, you know, just give it, just, just try three days, try three days without grains and just see if you have any impact. And I've had many people come back and say, I'm so glad you recommended that to me. That worked wonders for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as your question, what is the connection between food and inflammation? Well, there is a connection. Okay. Some foods cause our bodies to have that, um, inflammatory response. And, um, I think one of the best ways to figure out what foods um, those are, because it is indivi- it can be individualized, is to um, yeah go go to a very simple, very clean plant life diet because most fruits and vegetables don't have an impact on people, and then slowly add in things that they might want to eat and see what kinds of outcomes they have in the body. Right, right, it, and it's interesting that as adults we we eat and we don't. We're, well, we're not going to journal, you know, I ate, I'm Hispanic, so I grew up eating rice and beans and meat. Um, I don't do that anymore because I, you know, I've educated myself and, and like you have taken note of how I feel after I eat certain foods. So, you know, as a child, I grew up eating beans almost every day. Well, I cannot consume beans. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I have pain all over my body after yeah. I, I, I consume beans. So. Um, my point is like that awareness we 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 implement that when we are raising our children and we're we're introducing solids for the first time you know we'll start with this and see what happens you know then introduce another thing and see what happens we don't do that you know after after a a few years we just blindly feed the child and yeah, yeah we, we, I, I believe we need to maintain that sense of awareness because we're, we're feeding That's such our a great temple. example. Yeah, yeah. And just, just what you're describing, that, that sensitivity to what's going on in our own body, that it does take some, it, it takes being aware, it takes a desire to be aware. Like, I don't feel good. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm going to examine what I'm doing. And quite frankly, I think that's, you know, that's across the board. I mean, we're talking about food right now, but you can apply that principle in any area of your life. Something's going on. I don't feel good. I don't want to feel this way. I'm going to examine what's going on in my life. I'm going to examine my work life. I'm going to examine my relationship life. I'm going to examine the food that I'm taking. Is my my schedule, am I getting sufficient sleep? Like, we have 
living a life where you pay attention to what you're doing is the way that you can get um, start to get this is a term I like to use but outcomes start to get outcomes that are aligned with what you really want and how you really want to feel right right and and if you don't know at least pay attention how like you said how do you not want to feel <laughs> you know I don't yeah. want swollen ankles I don't want migraines <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I don't want to feel bloated you know so, yeah. so many so many symptoms are just accepted as well. yes that's life and, and that's not necessarily true um, and, and the other thing that I like about you know trying to direct people to do more of that in their life is is it, you know I, I'm a wellness practitioner I love it but I feel I really feel for people when they come in and they're suffering mm-hmm. and I I feel like I want them to feel better but I also feel like it's important to let them know and it is part of the conversation that I have with them is like I'm here to support you and I you know as far as you want to go with this I'll, I'll help you but I cannot do this for you so you know an individual who is seeking to be well that that desire and that impetus comes from them and they ultimately have to carry that through so going to you know, going to a body worker or going to, you know, a chiropractor or going, going to go to other people to help them is really valuable because those other people can be a catalyst. I can be a catalyst to help someone with change that they want. Um, yes. But, you know, again, they're only with me for a short period of time. Right. So that's why I like having both of these aspects of my work. I like that one-on-one time. But I also, you know, from the other work that I do, I like that I'm able to give people things that they can carry with them. And some people I don't see again, but, you know, I, they don't come for body work again. But when I talk to them again and check on them and find out how they're doing, they're like, you know, you know, you told me to, to, to do this, that, or the other thing, or to add this in or take this out. And that really made a difference. So that, that's a very rewarding aspect of my work. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and you're not... Um you're teaching them to be, you're teaching them self-care, right? right? You're not patching them up and scheduling them to come back and be patched up again. You're, right. It's as if you're giving them homework. You're giving them an assignment. <laughs> you're going right. to, you know, maybe not those words, but not, not those words specifically, but, you know, between now and, and the time you decide to come back, please, I encourage you to do these things. And, and, right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny because in the, um, some of the Chinese classic literature, um, they talk about, you know, what is a superior physician? And the superior physician doesn't have, have patience yes. because they're able to <laughs> help their, yes. uh, their client to live in accordance with, you know, the right way of living so that they're not getting sick. So, or, you know, that they're able to anticipate what they need to be doing at different times and different seasons and different cycles. Um, Whereas, you know, kind of the the inferior physician is the one who, who always has sick patients and they may be good at healing them, but they're not doing the work of helping them to prevent getting ill in the first place. Right. So, you know, I, I keep that in mind. Yes. You know, I, I that that's a it's kind of a goofy goal because you're like how do you how do you have a practice if you don't have any clients? But <laughs> you know, yeah. there's ways to stay in touch with people and help to promote their healing. Yes in advance of disease. And so that's really what my goals are. Absolutely. And I'm curious, we're going to take a quick break in a few seconds, but I'm curious about your views um, of the differences between East and West, you know, those mindsets when it comes to not necessarily medicine, but the type of work you're doing. Um, Sure. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. Okay, so we're back from our short break and we're continuing the conversation with Veronica W. Robinson. Um, So we're going to continue talking about 
the uh, differences in, in, in mindset with regards to medicine, the differences between the Eastern and Western uh, philosophies regarding medicine, and also touch on the populations that um, have access and why and, and the populations that do not. So Veronica, can you speak on that, please? Yeah, so some of the, you know, I think some of the key differences between, um, you know, the Eastern paradigm or uh, and the, the Western one is kind of what we were getting, uh, what I touched on before is just what, what the focus is. In the Eastern paradigm, like in, in Chinese medicine, they have something called the eight branches of Chinese medicine. We'll start out with things like meditation and um, Tai Chi, then there's herbs and feng shui and cosmology and um you know uh body works okay can you repeat um, can you repeat the eight branches of chinese medicine yes sure so the eight branches of chinese medicine start out with um uh, meditation um tai chi i don't know the exact order off the top of my head but There's meditation, Tai Chi, herbs, um, Feng Shui, um, cosmology, uh, nutrition. Oh boy, um, you're challenging me off the top of my head. <laughs> so it's just, it's just so our, our audience can actually capture that, that there is a holistic approach to, to health in, in, in Chinese medicine. It, yes, it's yes, not, yeah. yeah, it's not confined to medication or surgery. It's not confined to medication. Yeah. And, you know, acupuncture, where you're actually putting a, a needle inside of someone, and, and actually there are different, um, there, there is uh, acupuncture that uses um, a tool called a machine, which doesn't actually pierce the skin, but that's kind of almost like the equivalent of surgery, just like in the Western model, you know, Mm -hmm. surgery is, is kind of the end uh, of, of what you would do to someone. You're actually going to cut the person open and work on the inside. The acupuncture is on that, but there's all the other things that a person can do leading up to that, that are part of like their whole lifestyle. Right. Um, so that's one thing that's really different. Um, in Western medicine, you have um, uh, uh, prescriptions, right. pills. In Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, you have herbs, for example. So um, there are some similarities, but I just think um, one of the biggest differences does pertain to um how a person is living their overall lifestyle prior to the time that they get to their physician. I think it's, you know, I'm not a Western practitioner and I, 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 I never want to seem like I'm down on Western medicine cause I'm not. Right. And I feel that, um, they both have an important place Absolutely. and that's why I love the integrative model because I think that there are things that, allopathic or western medicine is really great at um that um some of the other models maybe aren't i I don't want to say that they're not as effective at but i think western medicine especially excels on acute situations we gotta you know get in we gotta get it out we gotta cut it off we gotta dope it up we got whatever it is we're gonna get rid of this yeah (laughs) but for chronic conditions and things that are just going on slow to rise slow to resolve i don't think that the western model is as good for that and so these eastern models i think because they are holistic their kind of perspective is you know what can you be doing now in in all of these different aspects of your life to support your health now as time is passing by so that these chronic conditions over time are not developing and then when a chronic condition comes just being able to moderate that better but i think i got all of the um the eight branches meditation qigong nutrition i think i said that cosmology 
cosmology is like astrology as well. Yep. Um, feng shui, some people call it geomancy, uh, body work. So, you know, it could be twina, um, massage, uh, uh, there's, there's the other type in, in um, uh, Ayurveda, it's marma, you've got time massage, things like that. And then again, herbs and acupuncture. Okay, so that's so. Excellent. So what I what I really, really appreciate is the fact that um, the, the Eastern mindset addresses the energetic bodies. Um, and, and, you know, in, in my understanding, we, we physically manifest a condition, an ailment, after the energetic body has been influenced so if we get to work on the our energetic bodies we have lower chances of developing something physically and yes i you know and and this is where i feel that western medicine is is just you know they're just starting to kind of open their eyes to it because they are accepting reiki um acupuncture as well i've seen acupuncture uh, I've seen patients receive acupuncture for things like uh, smoking cessation, um, anxiety, and pain management. Maybe there are other uh, reasons behind, you know, for them to receive it. But also, you know, not as many people have the access because they, they either if their doctor doesn't tell them, they won't know because they just don't live in that, you know, in, in, a, in a community where this is uh a common topic you know, you know go right, see right. <laughs> go see your your you know ancient chinese <laughs> med- medicine practitioner or or you know the work you're doing as well it's just not something that people in in certain communities have so right. you know and and they are the ones those populations are the ones that are really driving the costs of, of, of health care um, well, you know, on, another thing um, you just reminded me while you were speaking about, you know, I think a, a key difference is just that the, the whole Western medical model is is based on disease and death. Right. And so that's that's what's being looked for. They're not really right. talking to people about how, but you don't go to your I mean, maybe, maybe except for your, your wellness check, but generally when you're going to see your doctor or you're going to the hospital, it's because there's something wrong. You're already diseased. Right. You already have a problem. Right. And so then they're focusing and measuring that problem and can't comparing that problem in you to that problem in other people. Right. And it, it, it's just, a, it's just a different, um, it's just a different mindset and a different mind frame. And you know, I don't know that if I were a, a, a person whose business was built on people being ill, right? I need people in that model. I need people to be unhealthy mm-hmm. in order to come see me. Yeah. So of what benefit is, to, is it to me to promote people's wellness? And that sounds so horrible. Yeah. I know it does. And I, I, I feel like, you know, someone listening to that could say, well, what is she saying? Is she saying that, you know, as a, as a, as a Western medical practitioner, I, I don't have integrity and I don't want my patients to be well. No, I'm not saying that, but I, but I am saying again, just getting back to that idea that, that a superior from that Chinese model, a superior doctor has no patience. Mm-hmm. Well, in the West, you know, we're very much focused on, uh, monetizing health and wellness right. and if people are not well then they're going to come and see you and you know when I when I go see my doctor and I don't feel well if I if I go see a regular primary care physician and I don't feel well and he you know sees me for the 15 minutes that he sees me and then he's like well here you know let's let's try to have you take this you know do these couple of things and maybe take this pill and then go home. And if I don't come back to him, he doesn't call me. He doesn't check up on me. Mm-hmm. He assumes that I'm well. And we maybe had a 15 minute interaction and he sent me home with something that I could take and you know, hopefully be better and, and that's the end of it. But there are thousands and thousands and thousands of other people who are following that same right. model. Right. right. 
so I don't know I it's just it's just it's such a different paradigm and it's challenging to discuss mm-hmm. but getting to your point about the populations of people who who don't you know how the, how this relates to to your your comment about the populations of people who don't have access many people who are going to their doctor their doctors are not invested in knowing about alternative healthcare yeah that that's not what they do right. they don't send people to someone else so that that someone else can help that person get better so that that person never comes back to the doctor again because if all if all western practitioners did that then we could radically change the western model and you know wouldn't it be great if if the volume of people who needed to go trailing to their their western medical practitioners every year was was diminished am i making sense you're absolutely making all the sense in the world <laughs> and I, and i'm wondering if these same doctors you know are receiving the type of services you offer you know and and just not offering that resource to their patients for you know any reason i don't know yeah, yeah. i i don't know but i'm i'm really i'm just so pleased to know that i mean there are like here in i know you said you're a master Simon so there are um you are seeing a little bit more of that like there's one hospital um I'll call it a chain for lack of knowing the appropriate term but there's one that um you do see a lot more I'm sure in Reiki and that in the hospital um but the western model still trumps you know those those things are still supplemental to that western model right um right I, I see more openness to Eastern type of healings, like in cancer patients, or, you know, cancer centers, maybe in, in, in hospice homes. But like these are such like really fixed and almost like closed environments, right? Because you have to either be <laughs> terminally ill you know exactly. and almost on your way out yes. or you have to have getting back to like why like we like before the person got cancer before the like, you know on deathbed why were you not referring them to you know someone else might be able to have helped them change their diet or change their lifestyle or something like that you know right the, the, the best model is both Right. It's like, you know, it's like the the strongest household has mom and dad. Right. Um, that looks, you know, uh, uh get into that issue, but however that looks, that comes from a very traditional family woman and man and you know, so however that looks now, but just that what we'll, we'll call it and yeah. The the best the best household has yin energy and yang energy. Whoever's whoever's spewing that out. Right. Whoever's bringing that into the home environment so it's the same way i just think that the the, the best health care has right we have we're examining our lifestyle and then we're also um having access to if we do get sick if if somewhere our lifestyle puts us in a position where we're vulnerable and we do get sick or we have something in our genetics and we do get sick then we also have practitioners that we can go to who can help us right with that as well right Take, so I, think, I yeah. think both are best both both right because one is a is a sustainable maintenance you know and the other is like a safety net mm-hmm. um and and that's how you know they would complement but then you know we need our communities to become aware of that um as well so they yeah, can it's it, something go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to speak over you no i'm just saying if it's something that patients um in numbers and in, in really um impactful numbers start making these demands um i believe things can shift Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's you know there's there's more of that thing along there's there's more 
again, just more of an integration. I think one thing that, that worries me and concerns me with that a little bit is um, what, what, what something that concerns me when what used to be called complementary or alternative um, medicine, when those models move into hospital environments or into clinics, um, the thing that concerns me about that is that they have to amend how they were working before to fit that model and be acceptable. In that environment, I, I, I totally agree. In, in that environment, yeah. right. And so yeah. it changes the way the service is delivered. Right. It changes the things you can say or the things you can do. Right. And so it, it I think it has the potential mm-hmm. to rob um, those uh, alternative or whatever word you want to use um, models a little bit more. You, you can kind of think about this like with what happened with Chinese medicine. I mean, originally Chinese medicine, and I'm not saying it's all bad, but originally Chinese medicine um, was influenced by, you know, they there was a lot more of thinking of um, illness as potentially having to do with um, not just um, how you were living your, your lifestyle, but there was a little bit of what we would now call superstition associated with it. I don't know that that's true, but, you know, um, spirits and things like that. So, um, after, without getting too, too involved in the history, sometime after, I think the, um, opium wars, um, China realized that like, okay, we need to completely revamp what we're doing in order to make our medicine acceptable to the West. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, what we now think of as TCM, um, kind of started to be cultivated. And essentially what I'm getting at, not eloquently, but what I'm getting at is that even even back then, the Chinese medicine started to become more, I think, more disease-focused, like the West. Um, and so the... Um, the getting getting back to focusing more on less on disease less on using acupuncture for example as you know i'll go see my acupuncturist because i have a cold and i want them to fix my cold or i'll go see my acupuncturist because i have cancer those are western diagnoses right chinese medicine is based on you know looking at at patterns and um lifestyle and things like that but you know, the most change, they're trying to be acceptable to what is mainstream. Right. But then there's bad in that. Um, yeah. uh, but it's just, it's something that people should be aware of as they do that. And it's, uh, I have often looked at um, massage therapy at some of the hospitals here, but I reasons I've decided that that's not really the route I want to go. I, I like having private practice because I can offer services that people need in a way to offer them. Um, and for, for the communities that I live in, the aging populations, for example, um, you know, that's the that in order for me to stay viable as a chinner, I have to charge more. I, I I don't accept insurance right now. And so that's a challenge right there is I want to be able to get these services out to some of those populations that um, might really need them. Right. Um, But just doing that in a way that makes my business sustainable and makes it affordable for them to a degree where they can come with regularity, that's challenging. Exactly. Exactly. And just just getting back to, you know, what is mainstream? Well, that was created, you know, (laughs) the mainstream approach to self-care in those 
you know, populations that don't have access to services like yours, those preventative um, services, well, that was created, you know, those communities were created intentionally um, without that access. So I, I think like the most, from my own experience, the most that I could do was educate, you know, educate, well, you know, this exists, you know, these are the benefits that I know of. I've had, I've received acupuncture. I know acupuncture works for sure. Um, I'm a survivor of menopause <laughs> and, um, I went through, you know, I had symptoms for maybe two weeks and I, and I saw uh-huh. my practitioner and, you know, acupuncture and, and herbs. I mean, I was done. I was done in two weeks, like yeah, no more great. symptoms whatsoever, uh-huh. ever. I never had hormone therapy. You know, I, I, I never had any of those complications, um, uh-huh. So, but that's because of my mindset. I want to go out and figure out, well, is there another way of doing this um, that will not require, you know, any kind of manipulation to my internal organs? <laughs> right, right. And you know what else, Hilda? Um, there's, there's something, there's another piece here. Like, let's take something like cupping, right? Yeah. My, Michael Phelps, the, the swimmer, kind of made, uh, kind of catapulted um, cupping into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And then um, the massage world really jumped on it. Um, and massage therapists started looking at cupping as something to incorporate into their practices. And um, because, because Swedish massage is more of a mainstream um, type of massage, um cupping they helped to bring cupping to people's attention along with the fact that you know more celebrities were doing it so here we have this um treatment method that is um has has been a part of chinese medicine for forever right but guess what cupping is is you find cupping in uh as a, as a folk medicine all around the world greece yes. africa russia yeah. um europe all around the world and so it's the same thing with herbs right so we have these um practices that are part of folk tradition um ways that people can um help with some healing in their in their own communities um but that folk medicine was looked down on right and so what that did is it created populations of people who were completely dependent on their doctor yeah which again the superior doctor does not want a group of you know uh, all dependent patients so i think that, that, that that's a, a piece of that too um some of that folk medicine as we look back in time we find things here and there that were like oh oops that was dangerous glad that people aren't doing it anymore glad that we had the science available um to help people learn that yeah you shouldn't be doing that i was just listening to something the other day um about um Chinese emperors being found with cinnabar. I can't, I, I can't, I can't explain it well, but at any rate, some, the, the, this cinnabar had some sort of poison in it. Mm-hmm. So there are things like that. People who, who were taking medications that were potentially dangerous, but you look at like um, <laughs> Native American Indian yeah. um, herbs, there are herbs that to the West are like, oh no, that's a poison herb, you shouldn't take that. But they weren't used you know they weren't poisoning people when they were being being used because there was this knowledge about how to use them. How to use them. So there's this there, there's there's this loss right. that has kind of occurred with folk medicine um, that um, you know again the, the, sometimes that's it was for the good but there was a lot of healing that was going on yeah. by you know your elders you had you know the you know, grandmothers and grandfathers. And I just, I I think that 
that, that that's it's sad right, right. saddens me because again all that that all that that did is create populations of people who are like okay well now i'm i'm eating the food that that you know these other people are eating and i'm i'm going to get their medicine and i'm living their lifestyle and it's killing me and i don't know how to heal myself other than to go to their doctors and then their doctors are giving me pills and telling me you know if you don't do this that or the other thing you're going to die and yeah which which many times is inaccurate which many times is inaccurate and and people return to folk medicine and heal themselves anyway but yeah like, and, I, and, and I, what i'm getting at and the reason why I'm, I'm always kind of like hesitant to say this this kind of thing is again because i don't want anyone to say well you know you're completely trying to devalue and misrepresent what it western medicine but i'm not no I, you're I not there's a lot of benefit yeah but, but the I truth is to be able to be do to, to be doing more things for themselves and their communities before they get to that point and absolutely you know. absolutely and there's no lie that the pharmaceutical industry is 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 a you know they're corporations that are creating these medicines so the corporations are in business and you know it's a capitalist mindset and that's what the pharmaceutical industry is i you know i i'm not speaking against it it's a fact you can buy stock you can invest in pharmaceuticals <laughs> but you cannot invest in folk medicine you know That's you cannot right. buy stock in folk medicine and it will be quickly devalued and shamed and shunned right. um meanwhile you have ph- the pharmaceutical industries giving you these pamphlets whenever you get a medication filled showing you of all the the side effects and contraindications and possible death um results from taking that medication. So no, there's there's nothing to hide. It is all there. It's all true. But people are making a conscious decision to go in a certain direction. And that's yes. where I feel the education needs to happen. And yes, you know, I and that's where you. my passion lies because in order to make good decisions, we need to be informed. And unfortunately, most people are not. So they go and they trust, you know, in the past we had our elders, we had quote unquote our witch doctors, you know, our 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 um someone that was you know designated within the community to be the healer. We've taken that trust, that faith and given it to medicine, given it to right. to people with that MD uh, you know license. So Right. People are the, you know the community is the com- the community is composed of people and people need to educate themselves and the only way they can yeah. receive that is if we offer it. So, yeah. you know, we we need a quick break um and then we're going to come back and continue this because this is a very important um discussion. Um I know you had something else you wanted to add. Um so we're going to be right back. All right, sounds good. Okay, so we're back from our brief break and we're going to continue our conversation with uh Veronica W Robinson and we are really going to focus on how do we empower our communities because we know about all the setbacks, we know about the limitations, the restrictions and really the the kind of isolation that takes place when you are not informed of you know resources outside of western medicine. So, Veronica, what can we teach our communities to help them be empowered and and take more um responsibility over their own well-being? It's a great um such a great uh question and we were talking about uh folk medicine and just, you know, things that we could do at home. So a perfect example of that, something that I did a little bit more extensively for the first time this year would be a victory garden or a backyard garden. Um especially during COVID when a lot of people couldn't get out to just get basic things to eat. Um you know, it was nice to be able to go out into the backyard and pick all sorts of delicious uh you know vegetables. It's cold up here so we didn't have um many fruits to pick from but um being able to go out in the yard pick those things and bring them back in the house and have fresh food and that gets me back to you know what I 
started out the conversation talking about was having more of that um, whole natural raw living and plant-based cuisine in our diets. And that's how I grew up. I grew up, um, you know, my mother uh, had a huge garden in the backyard and not only did she um, garden there, but we would also go to, um, she would take us to farms and to pick like strawberries and things like that. And then she canned. So um, just it, it, within communities, um, finding people who know how to do some of those uh, types of tasks, if you have the, the time for it and, uh, and the room for it, but just being able to prepare more things at home. Okay. So, so what's a simple, what's a simple way to get started? Let, let's start with someone that lives like in an apartment, like you can buy pots and, and, and soil and amend it. Like what can you grow inside your home? Yeah, that's actually, you're exactly right. So you, if, if you were an apartment dweller, um, even if you didn't have a balcony, um, it's a little bit harder because you have to have a, a, a decent source of light, but you can also purchase some indoor lighting that's appropriate for um, plants. But you can grow lettuces. Um, there are some, some plants that are specific for pots. Now, I don't do a lot of that, so I can't tell you exactly what those are but um, I know that there are tomato plants for example that are for growing in pots you can even purchase I've seen um, small like orange and lemon trees and things like that that you can grow indoors in a pot so with a little determination um, you can certainly have some again like fresh lettuces and fresh herbs and a few other fresh um, items that you can have in your home and you know when I, when we started out I said even if it's just a little bit just just tell me two or three things that you that you that you want to eat and you just start there mm-hmm. and incorporate some of those things and getting you know greens are great because they're going to give you uh, a lot of vitamins chlorophyll good for your iron uh, vitamin C and then you're going to be getting you know water fiber um, so just even starting with with things as simple as the different types of lettuces and, and, and different lettuces have different um, uh, nutrient values to them. One of the most nutritious lettuces is romaine lettuce. Romaine lettuce. Okay. Yes. Very interesting. Okay. So, and and the cheapest thing to purchase are seeds, huh? For the most part, it, it's it's cheaper to, you have to invest the time, of course, <laughs> but you, you can collect your seeds and, and learn how to um, plant them at the appropriate time. And just right, them. right. Maybe start as a hobby and then see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what, Hilda? The, not only are seeds inexpensive to collect or to, to purchase, but um, you know, <laughs> there are some social media groups um, that are just seed saving groups, and they'll share seeds with you. Oh. Um, or if you happen to, for example, purchase a green pepper. I mean, anyone who's eaten a fresh green pepper knows that when they open up that fresh green pepper, there's a a bulb in there that is loaded with seeds. Mm -hmm. Every one of those single seeds, you know, is going to be a plant that is going to grow many more peppers that is loaded with seeds. So the way that nature is, I mean, it's just so abundant. You what you need is is right here in the earth so you can you can it's accessible um and it's a good place to start it's a great place to start you can get your own seeds you can learn how to compost so you don't just throw away all the scraps um when you prepare your food or you know you you peel the orange peel you can utilize everything um, yeah. yeah, even, um, um, you know, you can you can compost indoors now inside of a bucket. People right. are doing that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, YouTube is a great resource for different ideas um, uh, of, of what to do with, the, like you mentioned, the orange peels. So when I have orange peels, sometimes I'll take the orange peels and let them dry a little bit. And then, you know, have them later for, you know, tea or... Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do. You can take orange peels. And I, when I was a girl, you could take an orange and stick cloves in it and make some sort of room freshener. But, you know, you can just YouTube. I you, I have this thing. What, what, what can I do with banana peel? 
Um, you can make, um, you can dehydrate banana peel. I haven't tried this myself, but I know that you can dehydrate banana peel, which is edible, and make it into like a, um, like a pseudo bacon. Um, really? Yes. Interesting. Thing. So, um, there are some things that you can't eat, and, and nobody's come up with an idea. And you're gonna throw that in the composter, but even even then, at least you're returning it back to to the soil. Right, right. Re, re, reusing. Um, yes. And and that's one thing we. I also admire going back to the. Um, Chinese approach, holistic approach to living. It's like there's a certain degree of simplicity, um, yes. utilizing all of your resources, but there's also a degree of simplicity in there that like generates a certain balance. Um, so I think that it's really wonderful. I really appreciate the work you're doing um, and how you're adding more and more to your portfolio, <laughs> studying acupuncture, another layer. <laughs> so yes. you really have a really deep and solid understanding of the human body at this point. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So when your your clients arrive, I, I know they're in, in, in wonderful hands. Um, I, I, I really, it's work, like I said, that I, I really love, I really enjoy, and it's an honor to be able to be invited into the um, wellness journey of other people's lives. Awesome. So let me ask you, what are three simple everyday things you can offer our listeners to implement in their lives starting mm -hmm. now? Well, the first one I would say is definitely consume more water and I, ideally you'll be getting you know good quality water um, and just drinking it straight but you get water even in the fresh fruits and vegetables like I mentioned that, that is a source of water but taking in more fluids into your body is really important the next one would be to uh, crowd in more uh, raw living and plant-based cuisine and uh, plant life cuisine and again that's from primarily focusing on fruits and vegetables um so pick pick you know pick one or two favorite fruits maybe you like apples and raspberries and pick two vegetables maybe you like broccoli and carrots and just just start from there and make sure that you know each day i'm gonna have you know one apple in the morning and i'm gonna have you know some some berries for my dessert and then um, I'm going to make sure that I've got, you know, broccoli on my, my plate and I'm going to take carrots with me to lunch. And just just do that for just a week or, or maybe just say, you know, one meal, one meal each day is going to be my fresh meal. So I'm going to have one meal that's going to just be I'm going to chop up some carrots and, and broccoli and raspberries and, you know, kind of do a little mix of that or I'm going to. Um, you can kind of mix and match those things. I think I initially started out with three and three or four and four because it gives you a little bit more variety. But, you know, just mix and match things up and play with them or, you know, make, make a smoothie out of them or a juice. Um, just start small um, so that you're not overwhelmed. And then I think the third one is uh, make sure that you're getting rest. And rest is not, not, only, not only sleep, um, but rest. Like... Yeah like downtime right. whether it's that, that you get up a little bit early in the morning and you have that quiet peaceful time in the morning before everyone else gets up where you can just allow your mind to kind of flow free or later in the evening when everyone else has gone to bed or maybe over your lunch hour you take your your carrots and your apples and just go for a walk and kind of sit outside and get a little sun and just have some downtime where you're just away from opinions and voices and can just let your own mind just be free right. i think that those there are some some really key um key pointers for help and and those are all readily accessible right um, and free yeah, and free <laughs> and, and you don't have to plan a vacation to get rest you know exactly. you need to unlearn that that mindset you don't need to plan a vacation to rest well, thank, exactly. thank you so much, Veronica. I really, really appreciate 
uh, the time we spent together. How, how do we find you? Too. How do we locate you and your service? So you can find me. I have a website, Veronica W Robinson.com, which is mostly focused on body work, but you can see me for any of the things that we discussed today. Um, I'm on Instagram at Veronica W Robinson, and you can actually find me on Facebook under at Shiatsu Milwaukee or at Raw Foods Milwaukee. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Oh, there's my alarm. There's a timer. Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you once again. We may come back and revisit um, what you're doing because I'm curious about the acupuncture piece of it. Thank you, Hilda. Yeah. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate you and thank you for the honor. Thank you so much.